Welcome to Musically Hitched, a podcast featuring the untold stories of entertainment professionals from household names to budding superstars and those still hidden in plain sight. Each life has a soundtrack. Our stories are the lyrics. I'm Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. This This is Musically Musically Hitched. Today's guest is Grammy-nominated producer, musician, and vocal arranger Herman Johnson, also known as Peanut. After attending Berklee College of Music, Johnson, originally from North Carolina, relocated to Atlanta, Georgia, where his music career began to radiate. He has traveled the globe working with some of the biggest names in both gospel and R&B music. The co-founder of Gifted Child Entertainment, he is the longtime drummer and musical director for R&B icon Monica. In addition, he's produced music for Tyler Perry and assists with live performance arrangements for artists including Jennifer Lopez, Sierra, Tamar Braxton, and American Idol winner Fantasia. If you enjoyed today's content, Don't forget to please like and subscribe so that you're always notified when new episodes are released. Today's episode features music from Peanut's latest EP release entitled New Life, available in digital stores worldwide. We're back with the one and only Herman Peanut Johnson, and we've been talking all things music, and in specific, we were talking about his Berkeley days. So, Peanut, what would you say is the impact Berkeley has had on your career looking back from this vantage point that you're at right now? Um, you know what? I would probably say uh, uh, the versatility of the school itself. It was, it's just so much, it, when I was there, it was just so much variety there, you know, like, um, you know, from, from just walking the halls to meet people and everything like that. It was just, it's just so much, it was just so much variety there that impacted the way, you know, I approach just music in general, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So I, I would, I would say that, man, I mean, it's just, it just definitely helped me grow in, in other areas that I probably wouldn't have grown in. Uh, if I didn't go, you know, if I was if I was scared of the cold, I probably wouldn't have uh, <laughs> wouldn't have been able to grow in that in those ways, man. Right, right. Yeah, Boston's a different type of cold than Atlanta's cold, right? Oh my God, they got a whole nother season called Blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll never, I'll never forget. We was going somewhere. Uh, I think we was going to church or something like that, and um, one of the uh, one of the uh, deacons or, or deaconess or something like that was uh, explaining to us as freshmen, like, hey, you know, y'all, you know, y'all from the country or whatever, da, 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 y'all from the South. Okay, well, you know, y'all enjoying it so far. And we're like, yeah, this is, this is cool. You know, it's not as cold as we thought it was going to be. And this was probably maybe around like December or something like that. And they said, yeah, well, you know, you know, wait till blizzard season comes. And we were like, what? Now I only know four seasons. Right, that's a thing. Okay, yeah, they got five seasons up there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, nah, the adjustment was crazy. It was cool, but you know, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. What what Berkeley had to offer me was way more than I anticipated, because like I said originally, I was not even interested in going. Mm-hmm. But it grew on me quick. It grew on me like real quick. And next thing I knew, I was I was sucked in. I was sucked in. I was learning things, you know, unconsciously. Didn't even realize I was picking up things just from my peers. And that's that's one thing I'll say too. I I think, and I probably said it already, but I think I learned more from my peers than my actual teachers. Hmm. You know, it's 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 it, it was such an environment that it's almost like you can't help but learn from your surroundings. You know what I mean? It is it, it almost it almost didn't feel like school sometimes. You know, it definitely felt like school around midterms and finals and all that. I'm sure. Man, oh my God. <laughs> but you know, it you know, in between all of those different moments there it was like it almost didn't feel like school. It, it just felt like 
you know, just just uh, you know, just a fun house of just music and musicians, you know. And some of those guys, I mean, you know, they'll just call you, hey man, we're playing at uh at uh at this club tonight. You should come through. Come through, sit in, same type thing. I mean, this is a musical town. So I mean, next thing you know, you might be getting called to do do a gig with with the band that's starting up or subbing or whatever you know what i'm saying right it's, right it's that kind of environment where like i ended up playing i ended up playing in a um uh alternative band you know i never thought that i would be be playing rock and everything like that but i ended up playing in an alternative band and then i uh ended up playing with a, um, a funk band um uh th this drummer named keith harris who's incredible left-handed drummer he's a drummer and um md for uh black eyed peas and will i am okay. and he was playing um at that time um he was playing i forgot the name of the um of the funk band that he was with but i happened to just be around you know and coming to see him play and, you know just hey yeah i'm i'm new on the block from north carolina you know you know, I, yeah, I go to Berkeley, da, 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 da. and it's almost like just that camaraderie of like, oh, okay, cool, you go to Berkeley, yeah, 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 come on, you know, come on through, whatever. He happens to play keys as well, so I, it, we kind of gravitated towards each other, and when he wasn't able to make it, you know, because he, he may have been with Black Eyed Peas or whatever, um, he would call me to come and sub with his band, and eventually he was just gone with Black Eyed Peas. Okay. And, you know, I ended up being uh, the drummer for that with that band for the time being or whatever. And uh I eventually had a um a reggae band. I was with a reggae band. And that was just by half a chance. So it was just so much variety there at the school where I mean you was just learning and picking up things from literally your peers more than your teachers, in in my opinion and mm -hmm. my experience. You know what I'm saying? I think I'm pretty sure others had, you know, other experiences or whatever, depending on what instrument or you know um singer or anything like that but from my own personal experience it was like i definitely learned more from my peers than than my teachers you know what i mean and a lot of that stuff i i took with me and i still use use to this day you know in everything that i do i would think like okay well how would uh uh how would david approach this, this guy named david hunter incredible keyboard player and um um, uh, singer as well, writer as well. But I would think about like how how would David approach this? You know, how would he, you know, uh, uh, keyboard wise, how would he approach this? You know, and a lot of us were like that. Day Day, um, you know, we were we were there together, and um, who else? Of course, John John, and uh, I'm trying to think of who else might have been Danny, um, Danny McLean. He was he was there with us as well. So it's quite a few of us that. Um, came down to Atlanta but mm -hmm. I was I will say I spearheaded that though <laughs> oh really okay it wasn't down here like none of them was down here I was like everybody else was like moving to like New York or LA or uh like eh, maybe Houston but it was like LA or New York yeah this early 2000s right so it was still still popping the place to be at that time right yeah it was la new york that's that's where people were going but me i was like nah, i gotta when i leave i gotta go to atlanta you right. know and it was always it was always that it was always that it was like okay cool when i'm leaving north carolina i'm graduating I'm going to boston but when i get done with boston i gotta i gotta be in atlanta i don't know why but i was like i gotta be in atlanta you know you mentioned that you met Ronnie Garrett uh, right. in high school days, and then you guys stayed in contact as well. And, and yeah. I know that he's a collaborator of yours. So, so talk to me about that. When you did transition to Atlanta, um, you reconnected with Ronnie, I assume, and yeah. talk to me about how, how things developed between you and him uh, musically. So the way that, the way that happened was um, I was still, while I was still at school, um, I would, uh, like I said before, I would I would be making tracks in the learning center and everything like that. And when I would get done with like a, a full CD of like 19 or 20 songs, most of them I think is 20 songs, no less than 19. But I would send him, I would mail him 
a um, a CD, an actual like physical CD, because you know it wasn't you know I was just sending you some MP3s at the time. That wouldn't right. happen. Meanwhile, uh-huh. across the bridge, they was working on Facebook and uh, Napster and all that stuff at Harvard, you mm-hmm. know, a- across the bridge. But at that time, I was still sending physical CD copies. So I would send stuff to him to listen to. You know what I'm saying? To just, you know, basically just put the fillers out there and just let them know, hey, look, I'm at Berkeley. Like, I'm, you know, I'm here. I'm, I'm studying music. Um, I want to move to Atlanta. I don't know what I'm going to be doing when I get there. But I know that's where I want to be. You know what I'm saying? Because at the same time, ATL is not necessarily that far away from from Butler Creek. You know, I could still hop on I-85, mm-hmm. take that straight on up to my Butler exit. Unlike Boston, that's not a, you know, a car ride. That's a flight. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? New York, that's not a car ride. That's a flight. L.A., right. that's definitely not a car ride. It's a flight. Mm-hmm. So ATL just seemed, it just seemed like it would, it would fit me better. Because um, I, I looked at it like, okay, especially after being in Boston for a while, getting a, getting a real life city experience mm-hmm. you know what i mean not like okay it's a has a city vibe to it but it's it's an actual city with a lot of pride in it you know so getting a real city experience and coming down to atl it was almost like a mixture of country and and, and city for me so i knew i'm like i i want to be in atlanta you know yeah. so i would send that send music and everything to ron and he would he would, uh, I, you know, play stuff for, you know, different people and everything like that, kind of put fillers out and everything like that. And the responses that he was getting was like, yo, who is this kid? You know, wow, like, he, where's he at now? Oh, he's at, oh, he's at Berkeley? Oh, okay. So after a while, you know, I, um, I ended up coming to visit a couple of times, you know, um, you know, just to, just to fill it out because I never – I never really, yeah, I never really had been to Atlanta without, like, my dad. My dad used to come down to Atlanta uh, to go to the Bronner Brothers show, you know, almost, like, every year or something like that. Okay. And so that was that was my experience of Atlanta, that and Six Flags Over Georgia. Mm. You know what I mean? So right. Those were my experiences as far as Atlanta is concerned. So I never really experienced Atlanta in a music, musical sense. You know what I mean? Were you aware of the LaFace era? Like before you came, I mean, we all know LaFace by name and even the music, of course, even if you didn't know the label. But were you aware that that happened late 80s, 90s, prior to the 2000s when we were, you know, coming through high school, college? I had no idea. And like I said before, I of course I wouldn't have any idea because I wasn't able to listen to those kinds of artists. So I didn't, I didn't know about a baby face. I didn't know mm-hmm. about LaFace records. I didn't know about, you know, Tony Braxton and, and TLC like I only heard of these people through you know friends of mine in middle school friends of mine in in high school until I was able to like you know kind of get my own little CD player type thing and listen to you know sneak and listen to stuff on my own right I didn't know I didn't know the history the musical history of ATL Mm -hmm. at that time until until I connected with Ron and like like I said I would come down every now and again and visit and like he would take me around to, you know, different spots. And the first spot that he ever took me to was crossover, crossover entertainment. And I was amazed. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was just like, oh my God. And the, the funny thing is, Billy, he remembers, he remembers me from that. You know, because I was just I was a skinny kid, you know, visiting from from Boston. Everybody at that time thought that I was from Boston, mm-hmm. you know, not realizing that I just went to school up there, you know. But um, he he would take me around to different places and, you know, just to kind of show me like, okay, this is the musical side, you mm-hmm. know, of, of what you want to be involved in, what you want to get into. This is, this is that. Yeah. And Billy's not a bad person to meet on one of your first trips to the city, is it? At all. And Billy's awesome, man. Billy's awesome, man. He's a great guy. Man, yeah, at, at the heart, man. You know what I mean? And uh, and just he's he's been genuine through and through from from day one, mm-hmm. you know, from day one, man. And um, so you know, I would I think I came down here maybe like two or three times, and he was working on Ron was working on some stuff, some TV stuff at the time, and um, 
I remember, I remember he told me, he was like, uh, there's some things on the table uh, with Star Search at the time. And I was still at school and we started just working on like musical things for, for Star Search. And I was like, oh, this is amazing, this is dope, this is crazy. And I remember saying to myself, and I told John, I said, hey, man, you know, and John is like my brother. That's like, we like freaking frat, man. And uh, <laughs> I told him, I said, hey, dog, hey, man, I might be, uh, you know, I might be going to the league soon, you know. <laughs> I might be making that jump, <laughs> you know. And he was like, man, for real, you know. And that's like I said before, it's almost like, you know, like that's, that's like a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. When it's like you didn't necessarily get your – your degree or diploma from Berkeley, but you were there long enough to not only experience it, but for other people to experience you as well. So uh, when I told him, I said, yeah, man, I think I might be making that jump. He was like, man, you tell, you tell your parents yet what they say. And I was like, nah, I ain't even thought that far yet. You know? (laughs) So I knew at some point in time I had to like share with my, uh, my mom and dad and let them know, hey, and I think I want to, um, you know, I think I want to take a chance. You know, I took a chance at at, um, at leaving North Carolina and, and going to Boston and experiencing Berkeley and got all that. And I remember telling them, hey, I think I want to, I just want to step out there on faith, you know. And I remember Ron telling me, he was like, yeah, man. So just whenever you uh, whenever you're ready, it's like I'm I'm building you a studio, man. You know, when you get down here, um, you know, you'll be able to stay with me. You can stay with me, you know, until you get yourself together or whatever. And, you know, we can work on all this TV stuff together. And, you know, he said, just, you know, you take your time, you think about it and, you know, just let me know when you're ready. And the crazy thing is, is like, I mean, like I said, I didn't move until uh, February of 04. And uh, like the latter part of, of 03, I was getting myself together mentally, like preparing, you know, okay. to, to, to like make that move, the real move, like to uproot, you know, the life that I basically started cultivating in Boston and moving it to Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? And um, um, I remember I called F and told him, like, hey, man, this is uh, this is what I want to do, man. Like, I think, um, I think I'm going to go ahead on and make that move from Boston, you know, to Atlanta, man. Make that jump or whatever. And the craziest thing is he was like, cool. Like, when are you thinking about moving? And I said, you know what? Next semester. You know, and next next semester would be, you know, after the new year. You know? Right. Um, so I was like, yeah, next semester. He was like, okay. Okay. He was like, you ready? You ready for that? And I'm like, yeah, man. I'm ready. You know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm hyped. I'm like, man, I'm gonna, as soon as I get down, I'm going to be working on, on music for Star Search and like, you know, Get Mama Don't Dance and, you know, some of these other TV shows. I'm like, man, this is awesome. This is, this is great. So uh, this guy named Brent Flowers, he's aka big bully that's that's what we call him, big bully and uh you know um at the time he was you know he was an nba agent he was actually an agent for um for um lawrence taylor and um Nick Day, uh, uh james posey and nick van exel um uh, antonio mcdice so he was like he was like that guy you know what i mean and um i had never I had never met Brent before, but uh, Brent was Ron's uh, business partner uh, at the time, business partner at the time, business partner at the time. And um, the craziest thing happened when I got a phone call from Brent. Now, I had heard of Brent. I, I think we had talked on the phone and everything like that. And, you know, Ron kind of introduced us, uh, you know, via phone conversation or something like that. But I remember getting a phone call um, from Brent, and he was like, um, "How much money do you need? How much money do you need to, um, you know, to move your stuff, you know, from Boston or whatever to Atlanta? Like, what do you need?" Okay. And, and I was like, uh, "Okay, what is what I need?" And the 
you know, so I can, you know, pack everything up, you haul all that stuff. He was like, okay, cool. So you're going to get called from my, from my accountant um, a couple of days and uh, just call me when you get it. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Meanwhile, meanwhile, back in Creedmoor, I didn't know F was making plans to fly up to Boston and help me drive from Boston to Atlanta. So he wow. flew, he flew up to Boston, you know, and helped me pack stuff up into the U-Haul truck and everything like that. And like he he basically drove. Like I drove a little bit. I think <laughs> I got to like New York. <laughs> Boston to New York. <laughs> and that ain't nothing but like three hours. Yeah, that's what I said. You did all the three hours of the 18 hours. So. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? So I, I got to New York and I remember him looking at me while I was driving. And he was like, You good? You look a little sleepy. I was like, No, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. And I remember he was like, Man, pull over, man. So we pulled over and he basically took over for like, like man, the rest of the trip. You know, I, I've, I feel like he drove from New York to Atlanta. Like, you know what I'm saying? Drove us from New York to Atlanta. I don't know if I picked up somewhere in the end, maybe from Charlotte on down. I don't know, but I know he drove majority. I'm putting all my money on F on this one. I'm putting all my money on F. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, you know? So, you know, I remember he, he drove me down, man, and, you know, I ended up moving in with Ron. And I, st- I stayed with Ron for about a good year and some change, actually. I, I, I want to say maybe about maybe about a year and a half, I think, you know, I stayed with Ron. And the way he had it, he had it set up, it was it was like it was perfect for me because it was like, you know, my room, my room was downstairs. Like I had the whole downstairs level, you know, like it was it was crazy. You know, it was the office that was down there. The studio was down there. And then it was like, you know, I called it the movie room because it was a, like just a huge TV screen down there with the plush, comfortable couches. So I had the whole bottom to myself. So I rarely, like, came upstairs because either I was, you know, um, in front of the computer or sleep. You know, the majority of the time, I wasn't going to sleep till like, eight nine in the morning from just working on stuff in the studio just mm-hmm. constantly working on tracks constantly you know especially when it was um um uh star search season you know and this is before ai took over you know ai came in and just took over everything you know they just took it to the next level and star search eventually uh just tainted yeah it, it tanked i mean yeah American Idol, AI, American Idol for, for those listening. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, it just, it, it, you know, Star Search went down, went downhill after that. You know what I mean? Uh, but it was some more TV shows that, that, uh, that we were working on that we had to, had the opportunity to work on. Um, I wanted, what was it? Your Mama Don't Dance and uh, uh, Missy Elliott's um, Road to Stardom. Uh, the Gong Show. It was, it was a couple more that I can't think of off the top of my head, but we were doing doing music for for those as well, you know. So during it was like during that time, it was like okay, cool, we're doing Star Search. Then it was like we got hit with the challenge of Star Search was gone. You know what okay. I mean? It, it was like okay, well now now what we gotta we got to figure something out, you know, cause we was, we was already teamed up. It was like, we gotta, we just gotta figure something out. We gotta grind this out. And, um, even matter of fact, during that time is one thing that I almost forgot. He took me over to, uh, Daryl Simmons house. And this is when I started learning about, um, LaFace and mm-hmm. who Babyface really was, who LA Reed really was. And I remember we, um, we went over there and we talked for a little while and everything like that. And I was just tripped out, amazed again, like, man, okay, this is, yo, this is the real Daryl Simmons. Oh, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I remember before we were leaving, 
it was something shiny that caught my eye on the mantle over the um over the fireplace. And I looked and it was this little horn, uh, little golden horn looking thing. And I looked and I was like, I know that ain't what what I think it is. I know that's not what I think it is. And uh and they were like, What? And I just walked over there and I was like, So this is what a Grammy looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, my God. So this is what it looks like. And I was like, yo, yo, I, like, is it cool? Can I? I just want to touch it. I want to know. I want to see something here. I want to see what it feels like to hold this. And I picked up that Grammy, man. And I was just like, yo, it has some weight to it, too. I said, <laughs> oh, OK. Oh, this the real one. This the real one. You know, so in my mind, I said, OK, cool. Yeah, I got to I got to do something. We got to work. I want one of these for myself. Right. Right. It just, it just, it sparked something in me to just, you know, just keep grinding. Even though star search didn't do what, what we thought it was going to do because of AI or whatever, it was like, okay, let's just keep grinding. Let's keep grinding. We gotta, we gotta keep working. Like it was something that Ryan used to always say. He was like, Hey man, when there's nothing else to do work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? When there's nothing else left to do, work. Yeah. Get it done. Just what, what, whatever it is, you're working towards goal. You know, still at this time, Ron was playing with Richard Elliott, saxophone player, smooth jazz saxophone player. Mm-hmm. And um, prior to that, I had seen Ron um, at Scullers, Scullers Jazz Club um, up in Boston. And this was. I want to say this was not long after after he played bass in the Mike Temptations. It was around the same time because I was still in Boston, and that was just before I moved from Boston to Atlanta. And I saw him with Richard Elliott at Scullers Jazz Club, and I was like, "Yo, okay, yeah, this is dope. I want to do this." You know, so literally, I moved down in '04. He called Richard over um, maybe, I want to say, maybe like three or four months after I was there or whatever. Now, mind you, Ron didn't even know I played drums. He thought that I was just a keyboard player. Really? Ironically. (laughs) Ironically, Ron never knew that I played drums. Get out of here. He literally thought that I was a keyboard player and I was a producer. Is that because now, based on you sending tracks, I mean, you could be playing any, unless you hadn't had this conversation, you were playing everything on the tracks that you were submitting. So were you playing any live drums on any of the, the, let's call them demos or the volumes that you were sending down or was that all programmed? It was all programmed drums. Okay. Nothing was live. So there's no reason to assume that you play drums unless he's seen you play them at this point. Well, yeah, technically, because at first, he thought some of those tracks that I was sending, he thought it was live drums until I told him that, nah, I programmed those. And that's what really took him out. Like, wait, 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 what? What do you mean you programmed it? You know, and I said, nah, that's, that's all keyboards. You know, I didn't, I didn't actually sit in front of a kit and play, play these drums. These are sounds that I made and sampled or whatever and created my own kit at that time. And those are programmed drums. And he was like, whoa. So when I came down, his impression was, and, and my dad too, my dad was telling him, you know, hey, yeah, I mean, her can play some drums now. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what he does. That's why you were at Berkeley in the first place. That's right? why I was at Berkeley, right. Mm-hmm. So Ron, he didn't, you know, he was just like, okay, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, he plays drums. You know? It was that kind of thing. Because, you know, people always say more than what they actually can do sometimes. I'm not going to say everybody. But there are some people that say they can do this, say they can do that, all this other stuff, and they can only do like this much of it. Mm-hmm. But because they do this much of it, they say, yeah, I do all this. They lead with that, right. Exactly. Technically, no, stop, cut it out. Mm-hmm. You know. But it wasn't until, you know, uh, like my dad came down, I want to say after I was, I want to say maybe after I was here for like a couple of days or something like that, my dad came down and the three of us kind of hung out and everything like that. We went to La Perea and, you know, uh, got some, got some tacos, burritos and all that good stuff. And my dad, my dad just wanted to, he wanted to meet Ron and get a feel for him and everything like that. And, you know, uh, cause obviously he's like, you know, well, my son's going to be, 
you know, stand with you. I sure. Know, Absolutely. You know, put my eyes on you and just, you know, just make sure that my son is in good hands type thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, after, you know, obviously my dad gave his blessing and everything like that. It was one of those um, situations where eventually I was like, well, let me just unpack my drums, man, because I need to practice. You know, so uh, in in the studio, uh, the vocal booth was it was just large enough to fit my whole entire kit. So it was it was a fairly large vocal booth. So um, I was able to fit my whole entire kit in there. And I just basically turned that room into my practice room because it literally felt like the practice rooms at Berkeley. You know what I mean? Like it just, I was like, I was able to close the door, you know, it was soundproofed and everything like that. And I was like, oh, this is great. I feel like I'm back at Boston. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm back at Berkeley right now. This, this feels great. So it wasn't until I was playing, you know, just practicing some stuff that, you know, that I would normally practice to in my practice playlist, playlist or whatever. And I remember him saying, yo, man, wait a minute. So you, so are you a drummer? that plays keys or are you a keyboard player that knows how to play drums? And I told him, I said, well, my first instrument is drums. That's my first instrument. That's my first love. You know, I picked up keys along the way and that, that messed him up. It blew his mind. And he was just like, okay, okay. I got to figure this out. And what he told me was, he told me then he was like, man, he said with, with your talent and, my my wisdom and my connections he said man this tag team right here is about to take over and i was like let's go mm-hmm. let's do it let's right. go and so back to richard elliott he he um after um realizing that i mean i'm actually a drummer called richard and was like look got this kid you know he i i, I think i was probably I may have been, I may have been 21, like just turned turning 21, maybe something like that, 21, 22 ish. And you know, Richard came down. I think he came from like, um, like San Diego or something like that. He came from the West, came from Cali. And there was a show uh, here in Atlanta. I think it was the Atlanta Jazz Fest or something like that. And he was slated to play. And uh, I think. I think he was slated to play in like a couple of weeks or whatever. And he had like a 45 minute set or something like that. So Richard came over to the house. And meanwhile, Ron had been feeding me Richard's stuff. Cause he was like, look, I'm gonna get you on this gig. I want you to learn this music. I want you to, you know, just get into it, you know? So he was like, I'm gonna get Richard over here. And I just want you to play for him. I want you to play his music for him, you know? And I was like, okay, cool. So when Richard got there, came down to the basement, you know, I had my kit set up in there and everything like that. And I met him, you know, great guy and everything. And uh, he was like, okay, you know, let, let me hear what you got. You know, I was like, cool. You know, and I put, at the time I didn't have ears. I had like um, headphones, you know, so I put my headphones on and I got in there and uh, just started playing, you know, playing, you know, playing to the, uh, to the tracks that he had. Were you nervous? The funny thing is, I I wasn't nervous. I wasn't nervous because I um I had just been literally just I had been Richard Elliott out. You know what I'm saying? That's all I've been mm-hmm. listening to, to just like really study the 45 minutes or whatever that he had. You know, so it wasn't like a lot of songs. I could just really I could zoom in and drill on like I think it was maybe like maybe like nine or ten songs. You know, mm-hmm. something like that. But I could drill those songs. And so I had the confidence enough that I wasn't nervous. Because at the time, like, I didn't know who Richard Elliott was. I wasn't into smooth jazz. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't I didn't know who Will Downing was. I didn't know who Peter White was. I, you know, uh, um, I forgot his name. Uh, uh, Johnson, I forgot his first name. But I didn't know who these people were. I didn't know that Richard Elliott was a big deal in the smooth jazz arena. I had no idea, you know? So I was just like, man, I just want to be able to play drums again because I went from playing almost every weekend in Boston, you know, to doing straight production in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. You know, I hadn't played anywhere, 
you know, I wasn't with a band or anything like that. So uh, the nervousness wasn't there. It was just like the, the eagerness was more there than the nervousness, you know, because I was like, man, I just want to be able to play again. And he dug, he dug what I was doing and everything like that. And he was like, cool, you know, um, you know, you want to, you want to do this show in Atlanta? I mean, you know, you're already here. So I was like, cool. Yeah. You know, and it was at Centennial Park. I didn't know. I don't know nothing about this stuff yet. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm used to playing like little clubs and everything like that in Boston. So I didn't know that Atlanta Jazz Fest was like a big deal. Big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in Centennial Park, I didn't know it was a big deal like that until I showed up and I was like, yo, okay, this is, uh, it, it, this is, this is what's up. So we did the show and I think from then, um, from then on, it was kind of like, well, who's that kid? You know, who's that kid with Richard? Like, who was that kid? You know, it kind of just, kind of just, you know, got around or whatever. And um, I don't know, but that's, you know, he's with Ronnie, you know, da, 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 da. you know, and Ron already had this name already, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? You know, Ronnie Garrett, then, you know, whoever he's putting on, then it's kind of like, you know, it's just a stamp of approval, I guess, you know what I mean? And the fact that he believed in me, like, it wasn't hard for anybody else to, you know, believe as well, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so the Richard Elliott thing kind of just kind of took over, and at the time, I was just, I was actually just, um, yeah, actually, I was just subbing. I was actually subbing at the time because um, I forgot, I forgot his name, but the keyboard player, uh, Ron, uh, Ron, Ron Hart, I think that's his name, but his brother was the drummer, but he wasn't able to make that particular gig in Atlanta. So I was able to, to do it, you know. And uh, eventually I, I subbed again, and then eventually well, I wasn't subbing no more. You know, eventually it was, I was just out. You know, I was getting the schedule like, okay, well, we're going to be here this weekend. You know, we're going to be here this weekend. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, and I had to ask, like, is this, am I like, you know, a permanent fixture type thing or whatever? And it was like, yeah. You didn't know? And I'm like, no, I, no, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't want to assume. I didn't know. You know what I mean? So it came off like, you know, this kid is with all these old guys. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I learned I learned so much just from being in that arena with, with Ron playing bass and Dwight Seals playing guitar and Ron Monhart playing keys. And it was just that. And then, of course, Richard playing saxophone. You know, so eventually that was the unit. Yeah. You know, that was the unit. And this was the first time that I had actually did any kind of like traveling travel. Like my experiences before as far as a traveling musician was the furthest the furthest I had gone, I mean I, I had covered all of New England, you know, from Maine, Vermont on down to Connecticut, you know. Um, and I think the furthest that I had gone was um, New York, you know. So for me, that was traveling, mm -hmm. and that traveling was by van; it wasn't by plane. Right. So my first time going to to Cali was uh, with Richard, you know, and I had never flown like that far before, you know. And uh, I I was nervous then, you know, because I was like, Man, this is totally uncharted territory. But I had a I had a a feeling of comfort because you know you know ron ron was right there you know ron was right there with me so and you know eventually over time like you know not only like mentorship you know not not only, yeah not only the role of mentorship it's almost like like he took on the role and i used to always say it all the time and i still do it you know he's like my musical pops you know what i'm saying because of the way he you know took me under his wing and looked out for me you know what I mean? It was like more than, you know, it was like more than just music, you know, like we would sometimes at the crib, I mean, we would just, you know, uh, uh, throw some dog, throw some dogs on the grill or something like that, or just ride around the city, you know, and, and listening to music, or whatever, just talking or whatever, you know, so it wasn't always just in the studio, you know what I'm saying? So he kind of took on that role of like, you know, just that musical, musical pops, you know what I mean? 
how important is mentorship in the lives of, of musicians, like those that aspire to be professionals? Even at, at this point, you're already a professional musician. Technically, you've gotten this gig. This is like your first major gig. You're on a plane going to California. They've told you you have the, the role now. How important is the mentorship that you were getting from Ronnie at that time, but just in general for musicians? If they have a mentor, why should they latch on to that? Well, wisdom, first of all, you know, in, in my personal opinion, because I was just like, I was a sponge just picking up, you know, everything just, you know, not only uh, not only musicianship, but, you know, just the way, way you communicate with people, you know, the way you, the way you carry yourself, you know, and all that stuff kind of goes into what I started picking up. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, just this, that professional persona, mm-hmm. you know, that, that professional uh, uh, aura that you, that you carry with yourself everywhere you go. And one thing I learned um, from, from Ron um, and the rest of the cats was, you know, you're only as good as your last gig. You know what I mean? That, that was literally the first time that I had heard that was like from him, like right. as good as your last gig. And I was like, well, it's, it's kind of a crazy statement. But it makes sense, you know. Never heard it before, but I was like, "Wow, that's that makes sense." Meaning, each gig that you do, you want to always give it your best. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes your best may not be the absolute best, but give it your best. You know, so that way, when you leave the table, you know, you feel yourself like, "Okay, I I did the best that I could do." Right. You know what I mean? So, um, I would say mentorship in that perspective. I believe it goes further than the music itself, you know, and I feel like it should, you know, I feel like it should go further than the music um, because I, I can only say that because of the, the mentors that I've had, it, it wasn't just all about the music, you know, it was like life lessons that I was learning as well. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's gotta be more than just, just the music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward a little bit. You've, you've basically left, you've made the transition from Berkeley College of Music down to Atlanta. You've connected with Ronnie Garrett, who has quickly become a mentor. Um, he's exposed you to some people and some opportunities, uh, such as the Star Search opportunity. This is also, we kind of just breezed over this for a minute, but there's actually, I'm assuming that's your first foray into the music publishing world. Is that correct as well? Yeah. Right. So making basically the opportunity to earn, it wasn't just, we weren't just making music for a star search. If that gets placed, what, what do musicians have to expect if they get a placement on star search or American Idol or anything else on TV film as, as many people aspire to do? What is the, what's the opposite side of that? What's the admin side of that like? Um, well, I know, I know for me that, I think that was one of the, um, first times I heard about like ASCAP, BMI, everything like that. Mm-hmm. And he quickly said, look, go ahead on it and, you know, get signed up. Sign up. Right? <laughs> he, was, he was like, I'm BMI, you know, um, I know, um, I think a few of his cats at the time. Yeah. Rex, I think is with ASCAP. He was like, you should go with ASCAP, you know, cause I know Rex is with, with ASCAP and, is is really great over there, whatever that would allow. But he was like, you need to sign up. So that way you can get royalties. And I was like, huh, I like the way that sounds. You right. know what I'm saying? So it's not just one check on the front end. There's, there's, there's potential checks on the back end. Oh, right. You know what I'm saying? Not, not only just from the client, but it's like every time things are getting played or, or whatever, mm-hmm. they're, they're clocking that. Yes. And that's when I learned about that. I was like, oh man, yeah, whenever you do something, register it with, with the company that you're with. If you're with BMI, if you're with ASCAP, register it with that company so they can keep track as well. Mm-hmm. So that way you can get your, you know, your statements, you know, your checks in the mail, you know. And he definitely turned me on to a lot of that stuff, man, that I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, once again, that's one of those you know, things of um, just being a mentor or just yeah. having a mentor that, you know, if you're not thinking about those things, there's somebody there that can, that can bring those, those things to your attention. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Absolutely. Especially, especially because of the fact that, 
you know, Ron, you know, Ron's been doing this since he was like, I don't know, like 19, 20. You know, he started out with Donald Byrd and everything like that. So his experience in, in the musical world is like, it's up there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when he's talking about certain things like that, I'm like, you know, I got elephant ears. I'm listening, you know, because I don't know anything about it. You know what I mean? Like right. his his experiences, you know, has definitely, honestly, his experiences has honestly enabled me to skip quite a few steps. You know what I'm saying? And just just being around him and being, like I said, under his wing and just soaking up so much stuff. Sometimes it wouldn't even be a conversation. Sometimes it would just be me literally being a fly on the wall. Right. Listening, you know watching, I mean? observing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just and just just paying attention, you know, and just checking everything out. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> we were driving around one time and um, like I said earlier about Tyler Perry, he had met him in like 03, 02, something like that on the cruise. And somehow or another, we ended up meeting Tyler, <laughs> meet Tyler in the drive through of a Wendy's. He was ordering some food. It's so funny. He was ordering some food at the drive-thru. And I think he had called Ron or something like that. And we pulled up beside him, I think, at the time. Uh, like I think Ron had like a, a Lexus or something like that. And we pulled up beside his like his Bentley. And we were like, yo, yo, this is crazy. Okay. <laughs> like he's looking down at us. Hey guys, how you doing? How you doing? You know, so <laughs> somehow or another. He was just like, yeah, you know, I got, I got to come over. I got some ideas that I want to run past you, you know? And I'm like, and I'm now mind you, I had never heard of Tyler Perry until like just before I left, um, Berkeley, um, the, the musical director at the church that I was playing at, at Union Baptist, um, in Cambridge, um, he was, uh, having some type of, um, um, get together or whatever at, at his house. And we were watching. Oh, no, this is crazy. It's, it's all coming back to me now. We were watching Tyler Perry's um, uh, Medea's class reunion. You know what I'm saying? And I was I was tripped out about that. I was like, yo, this is actually really funny. And it was this one one particular person, uh, Terrell Carter, who who sang this song that was like, I never heard anybody in my life sing like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, yo, who is this cat? This is crazy. You know, the way he could control his his voice and everything like that. I was like, yo, I don't know who he is, but he's he he's incredible. He's amazing. So um mind you, like like I said, I just learned of Tyler Perry. So when I saw him in person in his car, I was like, that sure is him. That is <laughs> That is that is him. That's him right there. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and he's ordering. And he's ordering at Wendy's right now. And he's ordering at Wendy's. That's him. He's getting the five piece right now. That is him. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so for me, I was like, oh, that's dope. You know, I just I just seen him. You know, and I didn't know. You know, I didn't know how like how how big he was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When he came over. When he came over um, to the crib. Um, he was explaining to me and Ron um, about a movie that he was working on. It was called Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Mm. And he said that um, he sat us down. We talked for a minute, you know, and I, I say we like I was talking. I wasn't doing no talking. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was them two talking. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just sitting there because I'm like, I'm just, you know, I'm like, I'm still like maybe like 21, 22. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I. I don't know nothing about what they talk about. You know, I know music though, you know? So, you know, he was explaining to, uh, was explaining to us about how, you know, he had been to um, so many different uh, companies, you know, from you know, Sony to, to Universal to, uh, to, to Paramount, and all these other uh, movie companies. Um, and they all turned him down. He was like, they, they all turned me down. So I'm going to take my own money and I'm going to produce my own movie and I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to use my house. I'm going to use all of my people 
and I'm going to do it myself, you know? And in my mind, I'm like, man, that's a lot. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So what didn't dawn on me was that he had already been doing this for years and years and years. So mind you, like I said, I, I was just learning about him literally the year before I moved down. And he left us with, with, uh, with all of his plays, you know, on, on DVD. He, he's, you know, just gave us a stack of his, um, his plays on DVD. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because Tyler's been in at this point. This, I don't know what year this is, but I think he started his plays around 98, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. So he's about five, maybe five, six years in uh, around this point. Maybe more. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and like he's he's that guy, you know what I mean. And so in my mind, I said, "Oh man, that's that's really cool." That you know that I was able to meet him, like shake his hand face to face, and just like kind of converse and everything like that. And um, because of Ron's relationship, and because of the way you know he carries himself and everything like that, I was able to meet him. You know. And we were a part of his um, his first movie. We were part of uh, three different ones, but that was his first one. Um, we we was able to do Diary of a Mad Black Woman, uh, Medea's Family Reunion, and um, uh, Daddy's Little Girls. And just being being able to be there and be on set and see how he directs, I had never seen that before, you know. And I'm thinking to myself every now and again, I'll be like, man. I probably would have never seen something like this in like Butler. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I would have stayed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and I'm sitting there just watching. Like, this is this is real movie directing here. Like, this is crazy. And it really, really didn't hit me until it came on this on the screen, the silver screen, and it was real. And I saw I saw I actually saw my name in the credits. I said, "Oh my god!" Wow, ma, ma. Right, right. I'm on TV, mom. I'm on TV. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it really didn't hit home until like I, like I saw that. It was like, okay, we had done the work and everything like that. But it was like when I saw it, it was like, oh, man. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, taking it back to the whole mentorship thing, it was like he was showing me the game mm-hmm. while we was playing the game. Right. You know, while we were – it was like player coach. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like while, while he was on the court with me, shooting hoops with me, he was still coaching me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Showing me the real game in real time. So, uh, you know, we, we we did that. That was, I mean, that was amazing. Um, and at that time, I was still playing with, still playing with Richard. Now, at this time, also, um, Ron was starting to um, to phase out of the Richard Elliott um uh, situation because Tyler was pulling him to come and be MD for him on all of his plays, you know, and I remember we sat down and, and we conversed about that and everything like that, and he was like, you know, you got to hold it down, you know, hold it down for the home team, you know, you got this, and, you know, all that other stuff, and I and at that at that time, I had traveled enough with, with them that I, I did, I felt extremely comfortable you know, with, with, what, with whatever, you know, because I had just learned so much from from Ron at that time, and this was the first time that I was going to be doing something without like Ron being there after, you know, being down here. You know, that was the first time. You know, it was a couple other times, but we'll we'll get to that. But that was the first time, and I saw how, you know, how he um, he gracefully made the transition from from um, from Richard Elliott to being solely you know, with uh, with Tyler, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And of course, there's there's always going to be some scuff marks or whatever when it's like a transition or whatever. But it wasn't like like burnt bridges or anything like that. It was just like, okay, man, you know, man, you know, gonna miss you and you know that kind of thing. So it was just one of those things that I took note of. Now I didn't know what was about to happen uh, the the next year in '05. Um, and at this time, I was uh, I was playing with Will Downing as well. And um, this one particular time, 
uh, <laughs> this one particular time I was out with Will, man, and uh, I forgot what song we were playing, but it was I I remember it. it I remember it being in uh, six six eight, and at this at this time it wasn't it wasn't like a track thing. You know what I mean? It wasn't necessarily like backing tracks from what I can remember. Um, so we were we were literally organic with everything. And this particular song, I forgot where we were, but it was a it was a theater full of people. And I ended up losing the the time, the meter, you know, with however the, the hits were going or whatever. I ended up losing the meter. And I was like, I said, oh my God, this is this, I I can't believe this is happening. You know, and eventually Will just uh <laughs> Will motioned back to me and it was just like just just cut. <laughs> just cut. We're just gonna we just gonna end this with uh with, with the keys and everything else. He was like, just cut. And you talking about somebody embarrassed. I feel so bad because <laughs> what rung in my head was you're only as good as your last kid. <laughs> Right. I was right. Like, oh no. Right. This is it. And I remember I got back to the hotel and I called Ron, you know, and I told him, man, I said, I said, all right, man, I messed up, man. I messed up. He was like, well, what happened? What, you know, and I told him what happened. I'm on the phone, like, I'm in tears because, you know, the music for me was, it's, it's just in my heart, man. It's who yeah. I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, you're musically hitched at this point. I mean, there's no turning back at yeah. this point. Exactly, man. I'm musically hitched, man. I'm, I'm, fully in i'm fully involved and i remember explaining everything to ron man and i ended up tearing up because it just it i hurt myself you know what i mean like i right like it was like man why did i do that how did i do that you know but you know it wasn't as bad as i as i thought it was and that's what ron told me too he was like it's not as bad as you think whatever da, 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 da. and you know, we moved on from that. And that, that was what it was. But there was one particular time I was coming back from doing a gig with um with Will, Will Downing. And I literally just landed in um in ATL back here at Jackson Hartsville. And um this guy named Courtney Carter, he at at, at that time he was um I wanna say he was um yeah, at that time, he was the road manager for A. Marie. Now, prior to that, prior to that, he was he was a part of the management team um, for Tyler. And that's that's where that connection was. So Courtney um, obviously knew Ron because Ron was emptying for Tyler and everything like that. And Ron and uh, a few others was telling Courtney uh, about me or whatever. So Courtney just out of the blue called me and literally I hadn't even gotten off the plane yet. And he said, yo, what are you doing? Um, what are you doing tomorrow? You know? And I was like, uh, I'm packing. I just, I literally just got back and it was, it's probably maybe like 3 PM or something like that. And he was like, cool. I need you to get on a plane tonight. Um, or, or tomorrow at the latest. Um, cause I need you to do this tour. And I was like, tour i was like oh okay i was like well what tour is this and he was like don't don't worry about it it's 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 a new artist um he was like you heard of a marie and i was like a marie it's like nah I, I, don't, I don't think i've heard of her and he was like well just just look her up he was like you you've heard her song before you've already heard her song before he was like you know song it's just one thing that got me tripping i was like oh yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah i know yeah, that song i yeah. know that song and I was like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. And I was like, so it's a tour? And she, he was like, yeah, it's a tour. I was like, cool. And he told me, he said, um, you know, uh, when you get back home, uh, just go kind of like, like listen to, listen to some of her music and everything like that. And I'm going to send you um, some of her music, you know, if you don't have it already. I said, oh, okay, cool. So I ain't, I ain't think nothing of it. So um, when I got home, started unpacking to repack, uh, because I wasn't sure if I was going to be flying out that night or the next day. Ultimately, it was the next day. So um, I was flying to 
um, ironically, I was flying to Raleigh. I was flying to, to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So the show was at Walnut Creek. And when I got there, when I landed um, at RDU, uh, there was somebody there with my name and everything like that. And I got there, got in the limo. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, man, this is sweet. Yeah, home sweet home, right? <laughs> right. I'm like, this is kind of cool. You know, I ain't mad at this. You know, and meanwhile, prior to that, um, I was actually making my transition from Richard Elliott to Will Downing at that time, too. You know, Will wasn't doing as much, but I was remembering how how Ron was able to, you know, uh, make his transition from from Richard to to Tyler. So it was kind of the same type thing for me. And in my mind, I said, okay, cool. This is a tour. I'd never been on a tour before. So I don't know how to pack for it. I, you know, all he said to me was pack for like a week. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, cool. No problem. So I packed for a week. Big mistake. But I get to uh I get to RDU and I get in the limo and um whoever the driver was was like here here's a um a DVD player um I was told that you need to watch this on the way to the venue and I was like oh okay cool so I'm holding this um this DVD player or whatever and I'm just watching the show and I'm looking I'm like okay okay I see what's going on I'm just taking mental notes and everything like that meanwhile I'm thinking to myself cool when I get there I can meet the other musicians and I can bounce off of them, you know, whoever the MD is and everything like that. Just, hey, let me know what I'm doing. You know, whoever the keyboard player is, bass player, whatever. Let me know where I fit in this. Was this DVD of, of show material? Or was this like a, a recent performance of hers or was this? Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was like a, um, was it show? Yeah, it was. It was like, it was like a practice slash show so it wasn't like of the actual show rehearsal maybe. Um, yeah it was like yeah because i think at that time they had only done one show so i'm trying to remember if it was if it was a video of that show or if it was um, a rehearsal before that but it was something along those lines and um so i asked the, the driver you know because i know we're in raleigh and i saw that's all i know is that the show is in raleigh you know now mind you i don't know anything about headliner and all this other stuff i'm like okay so we're we're pulling up to walnut creek so i'm like man the last time i was at walnut creek i was with um uh the message you know and i remember telling f and telling kevin because um liddell abrams was playing for karen clark at the time and he was playing, uh, I got a ride to praise him. And the way he was playing it, it was, it was like, yo, it was, it was amazing. He was, he was like the guy that I wanted to play like that. I was like, Kev, do you see that? Like <laughs> he was, he had the gloves. Like he was so aggressive and just so passionate. Like when he played, I was like, yo, this is crazy. I want to be able. I want to be able to play like that. Just that energy, that ah to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when I think of Walnut Creek, I always think of Liddell uh, Abrams, and that that being a change as far as like how I approached, you know, drumming and everything like that. It was a paradigm shift, basically. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. So when we get there, we're pulling up to Walnut Creek, and I'm having like, you know, a deja vu moment of like, oh, this is wow, you know. And I'm seeing all these buses. And I'm like, hey, man, who else is on this show? You know, and the dude didn't know. He's just a driver. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't know. And so um, we get through the gate and everything like that. And he drives me straight up to the bus. And um, um, as I'm getting out, I'm taking my suitcase and stuff out and putting it on. And I see one of the buses is wrapped. And um, and it says uh, Destiny Fulfilled Tour. And I'm like, Destiny Fulfilled? to and i'm seeing on the side and i'm like is that destiny's child and i was like oh for real i said oh, okay wait a minute now so okay so i'm gonna see beyonce and them so so i'm i'm like i'm trying to keep it all inside because i'm like okay right. I, gotta, I gotta focus because i'm only here um 
right now because that's what it was at that time it was like i'm only here to do this one show you know but he told me to pack four weeks i wasn't sure what it was that he was trying to prep me for or whatever so i get on the bus and i meet the girls um it's four dancers and i meet lenny who's um, at that time was her manager um and um i meet a marie she comes out and i'm like oh hey how you doing it's good to meet you you know and in my mind i'm like wow oh this is this is really happening this isn't i was like pinch myself let me let me make sure i'm not dreaming this is a right real thing right, right. Now. um so we sit in the front of the bus they pull out um another um uh uh maybe i think it was a computer at that time or something like that but she's going over the show with me mind you it's only 20 minutes and we got 45 minutes before the show so <laughs> we're literally going over the show i ain't had no rehearsal with her nothing like that and in my mind i'm thinking okay cool the most important things is beginnings and endings in the middle i can figure that part out but the beginnings and endings of these songs, you know? And the great thing about that situation was it wasn't like they were like arrangements. It, it wasn't like they were like arrangements. They were, they were edits okay. of the songs, which was like, thank God. You know what I mean? Um, so like I said, I, I sat there with her, paid attention to, beginnings and endings and was like okay cool and she was like yeah and and that's it then i was like <laughs> okay and it's 45 minutes before the show starts this is like 45 minutes before the show and how many songs were, were in the set for that night i can't even remember i, I know it was 20 minutes worth um so potentially maybe, well like maybe, seven maybe, maybe, maybe seven eight six months? yeah maybe okay. about six or seven something like that um so she was like yeah cool so and that's it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, okay. And the way the whole show started was, it started with me. It was nothing else. It started with me. And I was like, cool. Now, she's cool. Now, let me go find these other musicians so that way I can figure out, like, hey, guy, like, what are we doing? So I go to Courtney and I ask him, I said, hey, man, hey, so where's, um, are the other musicians already on stage? Or like, because I know we open up the whole show and everything. Are they already settled? Like, you know, what, where are they at? And he was like, what, what you mean? I said, well, I said, well, Courtney, the other, the other musicians, like, where are they at? He was like, you talking about for Destiny Child? I said, no, I'm talking about for us. Like, who, like, who the people that I'm playing with? He was like, I ain't no other musicians, it's you. Wow. I said, hold, now hold on now. I said, I said, Courtney, what are you talking about? He said, there's no other musicians. It's just you. Wow. A. Marie and the dancers. He's like, what other musicians are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, that's when my heart said, coo -coo, coo -coo. tag, you're it. Right. I was like, oh my God. Oh, this is crazy. In front of my, my home state? <laughs> right. <laughs> you're going to do this to me today? <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. Make sure to follow and subscribe to hear the continuation of Peanut's incredible journey. You won't believe what happens next. Today's episode features music from Peanut's latest EP release entitled New Life, available in digital stores worldwide. To our listeners, we'd like to say thank you so much for tuning in. This is Zach Reynolds Jr., we look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Musically Hitched.